Alrighty, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're listening, Creekcast fam. Good to have you on board, as always, to um, happily talk about one of the better wins our Port Adelaide Footy Club, Ayata Pulti Footy Club, have had in, in many a year. Uh, one that I think ranks right up there with the best of the Ken Hinckley era um, of wins uh, that he's been a part of uh, and for our, our footy club just to to be a part of a marquee matchup like that on a Friday night footy to win that one, tough conditions, all those things that go into it uh, was really, really an impressive feat. You know, I'm like, and as I said, just one of the most impressive wins of that, the era really, the last 10 years. Um, we've had some good wins over that time. Obviously, we've had some some memorable losses as well, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I think back to the, the early years and, um, you know, I remember being at Footy Park uh, for a game where I think there's only 13, 14,000 people there. Just right at the beginning of um, the Ken Hinckley time. Um, and beating Sydney, who at the time were, oh, I think they were on a, a fair winning streak, and, and we beat them pretty comfortably in the end. Um, and, you know, it kind of just signaled a, a little bit of that new era then, and uh, and then we had some good wins over those first couple of years, you know, the first finals win away uh, against Collingwood, and then, um, you know, I, I think one of the more memorable ones as far as a tough matchup goes, obviously, um, the elimina- elimination final in 2014, um, against Richmond was incredibly fun, um, but I think one of the more tough, tougher wins that we've had. Um, I always think that Fremantle won the week after uh, going over to Frio and and winning over there at the Old Subiaco uh, was really really impressive. But you know, and you go through the years, whether it be the showdown wins, whether it be, you know the last one at Footy Park or or the Motlop win, you know those games were fun and and close and dramatic. But for the toughness of a win. Uh, for playing the pedigree of the team that you're playing, you know a team that's um, you know in pretty good form this year. They're, they've got some issues, uh, Melbourne, Nam. Um, they do have some issues that they're trying to figure out, uh, and certainly some of them popped up on Friday night. But you know they're, they're seven and two coming into the match, and and uh, one of the flag favourites, and and you know they've got flag pedigree as well. You know, so to go into that game, you know, considering all that. Uh, on taking all that on board, um, I think uh, you know. I'm not, you know, you don't want to be overly you know, hyperbolic about these things. It's you know, it's mid-season. There's a long way to go, but you can only talk about where you're at based on what you've done so far and what we've done so far. I keep saying that over the last few weeks. I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but you also got to review um, the team and the performances on the merits of what they're giving you. Um, otherwise, there's no point doing this until the end of the year, right? So. Um, at this stage of the season, that's um, an incredibly impressive win, and like I said, one of the, the better ones of the entire era of the last you know ten years, I think for me, um, considering all things uh, all things involved. Um, as I said, the pedigree of the team we're playing, and some of the um, both the team performance as a whole, but some of the individual performances were some of the best we've seen in Port Adelaide colours as well. So um, we'll get into all of it and have a bit of fun with it because it's a damn good game to talk about. Now, before I get into talking about it, I just wanted to put it out there that um, some people that follow us on um, Twitter or Instagram, um, it's mostly Twitter that um, I post this, on, that post this on, but our tickets at uh, Adelaide Oval, our season tickets, have I've been um, giving away essentially um, just for a donation to the, the Finlayson the, um, family fund for uh, Kelly's battle with um, cancer, so... I'm putting it out there now that the tickets, obviously, for the next game, I think the next home game is going to be Hawthorne. Um, those will be available. I'll post them up on Twitter um, in probably a couple of days, try to get a bit ahead of it, um, you know, a week and a half out from the game. Um, but if anyone is looking for, um, looking to go to that game, get in touch with, uh, you know, either on Twitter or Instagram, whatever you preferred, 
social media or Facebook. We have a Facebook page. I'll check the message. I don't post there nearly as much. Um, but, you know, you know, get in touch either way in the next couple of days before I pop them up and I'll give you first, you know, anyone that's listening, um, first chance at getting those tickets. Obviously, there is money involved, but it's all 100% to their fund. I just ask that you make the donation and then show me proof that you've made it. Um, you now, I don't even ask for the money to come to me and then I make the donation. I just say, you do it, send me the screenshots. And then, and you know, you, I see it, you know, as long as you attach your name to the donation, I see it on the donation page anyway. And then all I do is I ask for your email, pop the tickets through to you. And, and then they're there, you just have to accept the transfer and then they're officially your tickets for the game. Um, we have a great, a pretty good spot, I think. It's um, We just took what the, um, kind of had a look around and found Bay 140 there. The oval kind of near the hill, but um, around just uh, just past the 50 meter line. Um, had some great views, some some nice goals over the years there. So, um, and you know, pretty, you know, close enough to the field, you can really hear, hear and feel the action. Whilst being just up a little bit to be able to see, um, see a bit as well, so. Great seat. It's a great spot for um, watching the games. And uh, yeah, like I said, if you, I'll pop them up. I'll do my official, you know, the Twitter post in a couple of days if I don't get anyone. But you know, in the next couple of days, um, up until maybe you know Wednesday, Thursday, um, I won't, I won't be offering them there yet. So if you're listening and you'd like to go to the game, uh, but don't have tickets, just get in touch. And um, you know, we, I usually ask 50 or 60 bucks for to go to their fund for the two tickets, which that that spot, I think, uh, the, to buy the tickets there is almost 100 bucks per ticket so you're essentially getting each ticket for 30 bucks um but i'm i'm willing to you know part of the reason i did this was both for getting money to you know donations to the finlayson family but as well as allowing people to get into the game a bit cheaper you know maybe some people that are um you know cost prohibitive to get tickets for the game i wanted to kind of balance that line so you know if you're if you're wanting to go but maybe you know you really budget restricted in, in certain ways get in touch and have a chat you know i'm i'm, I'm happy to you know if you want, want to make a you know 20 dollar donation i match it and you know we, we we can work some account so anyone listening i appreciate the support of the podcast and get in touch and um uh, if you're looking to go to the game and don't have tickets and we'll um, figure something out so anyway let's get into some review so yes yeah, so as i started off saying one of the most impressive wins in many a year um, the occasion, uh, Friday night footy is always, you know, a massive occasion. It's where a lot of eyes are on the, a lot of eyes are on the performance, um, particularly Melbourne being a club that's been in the, um, you know, you know, has been in the conversation over the past, I mean, really five, six years, you know, they had those couple of years they got up there, uh, up towards 2018 or 2019, 2019, had the off year in 2020, um, which, you know, the myriad of reasons, but they're, Possibly an off year coming anyway, but um, you know, then they rocketed right back up there in 2021 and won the flag in dominant, dominating fashion. And even last year, we're a pretty good side. You know, I think they won their first eight nine games in a row before they finally started dropping off a little bit. And um, you know, but they were still a pretty good side last year, and, and they've proven to be one of the front runners this year again. So, you know, Friday night footy against them at home. I think 37, 38 thousand people made it to the game, which considering the conditions and all that stuff. Uh, poor crowds have been have been pretty good over the last couple of years and continue to be so. And um, kudos to you get to you all that got there. Um, sorry, I'm dealing with this. This is what I, sometimes happens. You're just sitting around doing nothing. You know, I was preparing, reading some stats, and watching some watching back a bit of footage in the, uh, over the last couple of hours. Felt fine, and then as soon as I start recording, a little bit of heartburn. Fucking terrible. So, <laughs> apologies for the little little interrupted hiccups there for a moment there. But um, hopefully that doesn't. Um, come up too much more but as being a 35 year old um middle-aged man <laughs> heartburn um but yeah it was a really impressive performance i what i loved about it was 
you know, at times, it's been well spoken about Port Adelaide's propensity to sometimes, you know, disappear in games over the past half a decade and the big games, you know. Or maybe not disappear, but just not quite, you know, having fun mistakes, you know, in your basic fundamentals at crucial times in the game that show that they weren't quite, you know, players were maybe a little bit overall by the occasion or, or any number of things that can be thrown at you, whether it be, you know, we were, a couple of years ago we were flat track bullies and, and all that stuff and we couldn't get it, we couldn't buy a win against the top eight teams and now I think I, I looked at the ladder quickly earlier and I think well, we've played six of the top eight, I think, at this point. Um, and a four and two against so and 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 two and zero oh against two of the teams in the top four. So, um, you know, there's there's a massive shift in the in the in the uh, in the uh, conversation about where Port are at this year. Um, we're winning the close games, which we did. I think we were Owen almost uh, maybe we won a close. I'm not at one point last year we were just Owen Owen eight in you know twelve point or less games kind of stat. Whereas you know you had teams like Collingwood who were ten and zero and. Uh, two goals or less, and then and this year we're five and zero in games by fifteen points or less. I think um, so. You know, considering it's an eight and zero record overall, um, you know, considering with that five of those games have come down to basically three goals or less, uh, is really impressive. And the fact that we've looked the better team, I think, in most of those games. Maybe Sydney, I think, we got away with that one a little bit. Um, Sydney did dominate us for a couple of quarters, then we had our stormed back and. And so, but I think overall, I think Sydney probably were the better side across the board on that day. But you know, you you win sometimes. You, you know, we've done it plenty of times over the years. Has been the the worst, the better team in the park, and you know, better team in inside fifties and all that stuff, and still lost. So, I'm not taking that away from you. Sometimes you have to win them tough, and sometimes you win them by being the front running team. And thankfully, this year I think we've been the better team in the park against a lot of teams for a fair amount of time. Um, Collingwood, obviously, the the massive. Um, you know, one that we weren't in that game and, you know, Adelaide in, in periods and especially at the end fell right away. But, you know, and I bring up the Adelaide one. Um, I think it's interesting that, you know, we you got to the 10-minute mark of that game, um, you know, or wherever it was that Sam Pup ever kicked the goal that got us ahead and then just fell apart. And we didn't we didn't keep up the intensity, keep up the pressure and, and let them run over the top of us. We thought we, we were trying to let the game come to us a little bit, I think, in that one. And... You've seen a shift since then. Um, obviously, Hinkley coming to the bench and all that stuff is a part of it. But I think the players and maybe the messaging is getting through better, partly because of that coaching change and, or whatever else. But I think the players took it on board themselves. They didn't want to be in that position again to be in be you know you know a chance to win the game with ten minutes to go and then and then get completely blown out of the water because you've you've uh, you know taken your foot off the gas or anything. So whether there's been internal meetings about that or anything else, or players have just um, you know. It's just been an overall message that we don't do that again. We don't let ourselves get into that position and expect the game to come to us. That we've got to go on, go ahead and take the game on um, and win the game based on the merits of the game as well as the merits of our own gameplay. And uh, and you know you kind of saw that. I think that there's been a lot of that in those these close wins over the past this winning streak we've had since. You know, um, never saying die. You know, the, the Sydney game coming back late. Um, Western Bulldogs we were down at some point that last quarter, I think, and we came back, you know, we ended up winning by 14, 15 points. Uh, Essendon, um, we, we kicked like shit and, and kept on giving them an avenue back into the game, but we, we made, made sure to go and take the game by the, the stranglehold. And again, this one, you know, we got sucker punch. You know, we dominated the first half. We absolutely dominated the first half of this game, um, more or less. 
And uh, and then we got absolutely sucker punched in that third quarter where we just kind of... And, you know, I, I think I've got a note here that, you know, with 12 minutes to go... Um, sorry, I'm going to go I'm going down my list a bit. I was going to get to this later, but start off with the negative and then we can get into all the positives. Um, you know, with 12 minutes to play in the third quarter, we led by 20 points. And the commentators, um, I think it was James Brayshaw even said, pretty good lead in these conditions, right? You know, 20 points up, it's pissing with rain, absolutely pouring. It's always, you know... Modern cameras can kind of dis, you know dissipate the rain pretty well, and you don't quite get you sometimes don't get the full picture of the conditions. But the, the rain was that heavy that you could see it clear, and there was a, the real fog and haze to the the viewing. And at one point when it was a little bit quieter, you could actually hear the rain as well in the in the in the mics on the field. So it was that heavy. Um, beyond besides, despite that, you know Melbourne went on a six goals to. Six goals to nothing, or you know, up until the point that Butters um, kicked that goal to um, get us back within a couple of goals at three quarter time. Um, but you know, that was one of those things that in in these kind of games that it's we do have that propensity to fall off a little bit. Um, and I've I've mentioned it in previous weeks. You know, we had the three goals that you know North Melbourne kicked on us pretty quickly at one point to get the lead a bit more respectable for them at one point or deficit, I guess. Um, but we don't. We still do have a propensity within ourselves to, and, and when we do drop off that little bit, and maybe the other team we drop off a little bit, the other team jumps up. That you know brings up pressure scale a little bit, and and their skills. And you can see Melbourne just Melbourne just kind of did click up a gear there for a bit. We give up runs and and seven goals in a quarter um, against Melbourne when um, you know in the third quarter they get kicked seven goals, uh, seven goals too. They they kicked a couple of you know those lucky you know those goals that. Yes, you got a you know you know 100% shots don't not taken all that stuff. Um, they kicked pretty handily, uh, seven goals two in that quarter. But you know quarters one, two, and four they kicked four goals total, total um, and then they almost doubled that output in one quarter in the third quarter. So you know these are things that were still you know I don't know what you know, teams go and runs. It's you know sports often is about teams you know punching it. It's a, it's a bit of a boxing fight sometimes in sports like this that engage in point scoring like this especially you know basketball and you know, afl footy can be you know runs and even soccer you know teams will have their periods of pressure and stuff like that so it's not unsurprising but it's the level of scoring the depth the heaviness of scoring that melbourne put on in a very short amount of time was a little bit concerning but you know it was um again like i said all these games that teams have had runs on us and and tried to give us a sucker punch since that growth that showdown We've had shown the ability to take those, absorb those punches, and actually come back punching harder and at the right times, and and timing our timing our form and and runs, and and having the fitness at the end of a tough game like that to run it out as well, and um and really was crucial, and 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 it's just to me that shows an a shift in attitude or a, an adjustment in attitude. I don't think we would that you know didn't have any misplaced didn't have misplaced hubris in the showdown to think that we we're going to run on and win it, but we maybe a subconscious thought. That we were better, and but you can you know you can know you're better, but you still have to actually prove it. And I think that since that game, again, whether it's just you know purely coincidence, but I think we've we've seen a shift in attitude that you know the players have taken it on board that they don't want to be in that position again, of being in the position to win it, but then losing by five goals in and in a short amount of time, just letting a pile on and goals in the last quarter happen. So really impressed that that this winning run since that time, um, culminating in this this game as well, has seen. Uh, a really impressive shift in attitudes that is also, you know, they're building their own confidence and, and actually building into better players because of that as well. You know, you've seen a lot of players in the last few weeks really go up a level.
what I particularly liked about the way we played as well, and this is something that we've we've been doing a lot in the last few weeks, the last month or so. Um, but particularly, it was more evident than ever in this game, particularly because of the opposition. Again, it was a classy opposition. Um, you know, you can have good, you know, corridor footy playing against, you know, not meaning to beat down on West Coast or North Melbourne at the moment, but West Coast in particular, you know, a team that seems to have lost a will to fight in a certain respect, and or they've just they're just decimated by injury and all that thing. But if you if you're playing, you know, corridor footy, nice slick handball chains, all that stuff through the middle against West Coast at the moment, people go, okay, yeah, do it against the big teams. Well, this is what we did. We were playing. You know, the rebounding outside of the defensive 50, um, the, both of the skills, um, and, you know, Dylan Williams is a big part of this, and this is sometimes one of those moments, where, as a fan, you admit, we just sometimes don't know. Because I know when Dylan Williams was included in the side, um, at first, we all just went, what the fuck? Like, what's he going to bring to the side? And since he's come in now, we're just like, sign him up for life. Give him a lifetime contract. Because he's, his, um, you know, this uh, possession and, 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 and ability to... to um, make uh, decisive decisions and good kicks out of 50 and, and, and make the right decisions um, alongside the likes of Bergman and co has really kind of changed um, the way we play because at times we've been um, you know guilty of getting bogged down coming out of 50 and, and not really moving through the middle that well and it's partly because we don't have good you know the ball use has been average and all that stuff so you bring you know Bergman's taking his game up a level obviously taking more intercept marks and, and, and being more strong back there and as kicking out out of defensive 50 has been good as well. But bringing in Williams has been a revelation as well because there's another guy. So you've got more guys both by hand and by feet because Willem deals pretty good with his um, you know eyes and movement and making the right decision with the ball. Um, and that's transferring into the likes of Butters and Rosie when they're in the midfield and, and they get a part of those chains and and it starts moving really quickly, and even guys like Darcy Byrne Jones, since he's come back in, has kind of found a different role on the side. And so we're seeing better movement through the middle, and and more uh, bravery to go through the middle as well. We were taking on one of the best teams in the competition over the past three to five years um, in Melbourne, and uh, you know one of the better midfields, and you know there's you know stars across the field, and and we're cutting through them pretty well, and for a fair parts of this game, and. And even when the conditions got dire and the rain was pouring and all that stuff, we were still taking the game on and, and weren't weren't being overawed. And I think I said that at the start of the game that we had a propensity at times in the past in these kind of games to be overawed, but you could see the confidence build. And, and this is one of those things that we can look at last year. There was a lot to not like about last year, the 0-5 start and just the fact we were, um, we were uh, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit at times uh, and just were always chasing that uh, that top eight position rather than in the hunt. Um, but, you know, the like, you know, Rosie getting thrown into the midfield last year, um, you know, and, and certain things that happened last year, Pal Pepper's really ascent to being you know, our first, time, first name on the team sheet kind of guy. Willem Drew again last year. There's some developmental things that happened last year um, that you can start to look at the fruits of that labor happening now um, and just in the you know just what was happening in this game i could just see little bits of like you know this is the kind of stuff we could see glimpses of last year that we're really starting to see at a consistent level this year now and just really really impressed by it. and the pressure as well um the inside 50 pressure was one that i really liked because i could see just this desire and this this um burning desire from our boys to to keep the ball and win the ball um, inside 50, and when they didn't have the ball, it was like it was like you know moths to a you know moths to a flame kind of thing. They just want wanted it back, and 
found it really interesting the two teams um, averaging 12 tackles inside 50 each for the year um, in this game we had 18 tackles inside 50 to 6 and I think that's got kind of spoke to the team that was more willing to battle and put their body on the line to win the ball back you know it's not that Melbourne aren't a good team and aren't wanting to win the game but you just there's a subconscious thing in this game that Melbourne just weren't quite as prepared to work as hard as Port Adelaide were to win the ball back and I think when the, both teams are um, sitting on a pretty similar average for tackles inside 50 for the year but one team wins that battle by that number 18 to 6 you know averaging 12 so they've you know tripled the output and one you know won that battle by that margin um kind of speaks to just a different the the attitude on the night is what you know and it was a close game um Melbourne easily could have won by having playing basically a quarter and a half of decent footy um, and that just speaks to the talent they have and the, and the good team they are. But the game was won by some fine margins, and one of those margins, which you know was a significant margin in this particular stat, was the the, the pressure inside fifty. Now I'd be remiss to be twenty minutes in this podcast um, without really having gotten into it too much. But we've got to start talking when we're talking individual players. Zach Butters, he announced himself. I think. Uh, well, not I think I know to the competition. I've seen it. You know, I was watching um, some uh, sports card breaks the next morning. There was some AFL product being opened by uh, um, anyone that's a card person. Cherry collectibles, you know who they are. Um, it was all the all the chat because the breaks at nine a.m. on Saturday morning. Um, all the chat was about butters. You know, people just being like butters, butters Brownlow. Um, you know, you know Dagos is shit. And, you know, butters is the new. You know, all that kind of stuff. So you could see that. And again, like I was talking about, primetime games, primetime footy, Friday night footy against one of the best teams in the competition. That's the level, that's that's where your name is going to get, is you're going to put yourself onto that stage of people around the competition noticing. Um, and I, I certainly don't think he's been, like, people... Butters has been a player talked about often and since he's come in. Um, I know he's in the All-Australian 40 in 2020, I think. That's all right. One of those early years, he was in the All-Australian 40. Didn't quite make the squad, but he was he was up there. So people know of who he is, and there's been people that talked about his... Um, I know I've heard commentators talk about him um, as a potential kind of Gary Ablett Jr. special. Now, I'm not trying to put that... I just know I've heard that mentioned at times. So there's people, people have had this idea of Butters as a special talent um, for a while. But... That might people that watch the game, commentators, you know, pundits, all that stuff. But the wider fan sometimes has missed out on seeing what we've seen, uh, the glimpses of at times. And I know injuries kind of curtailed that last couple of years. You know, I think I think the our season opener at home in, in 2021. I think we played North Melbourne the first week away. I mean, Essendon at home, and I think you know Dixon kicked five or six goals. It was a nice sunny day. Um, you know, it was a good day out. And I think Butters had 35, 36 disposals that day. And it kind of felt like that was half a coming out party. But it was a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, sun, you know, not everyone's eyes are on the game. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, he was having a pretty good game against Richmond on a Friday night footy game. And then he, that was when he did his knee. That was, a, was that syndesmosis, whatever the injury he had. Um, and then, you know, he had a struggle to get back on the field that year because then he had a couple of, I think he had an, knee, an infection thing and, and whatever else. 2021 was a rough year for injuries after he'd started pretty well. Um, and last year, coming back in, obviously last year, a lot of players were struggling because we were we were struggling as a whole as a side to get something going. But um, so now we're finally seeing the fruits of that labour. I think you know he was threatening this kind of level of performance, but he's also gone through a little bit of um, animosity, um, adverse animosity, adversity um, <laughs> with injuries. 
and, and matured a little bit as a person as well, and that, that's going to feed into the game too. And and he and it all comes together with this. And he's been pretty good the last few weeks. He's you know he's rocketed up to be um, equal top in the in the coaches association votes. Um, you know he's fifty one points apiece between him and Dacos. And you know, I know I mean we all know what the 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 hyper um, that's been around about Dacos um, in in the last couple of well since the season started basically. So. Butters is now equal le- equal level with him with um, I think three perfect tens in a row. Um, he had, didn't even pull a vote in the first three weeks, but since then he's rocketed up the board. Um, I mean, the next two best behind Dacos and Butters are uh, Bontepelli and Petrarca on forty three apiece, so they're they're eight points ahead of them. So when you got Butters sitting at a level with one, you know one of the young stars in Dacos and then two of the absolute kind of veteran stars in Petrarca and um, Bontepelli as well, so he's in that conversation. He's being noticed that way, but is the performance against a top four team, you know, like I said, I've already said about how you know, the pedigree of Melbourne in the past five years, what they are, for Butters to put this performance in against them um, really makes it one of the best individual performances of any team, I think, in, in the last few years. Um, and I, without having gone through a deep dive stats into team players that have had this kind of performance against... You know, and and then measuring their opposition and trying to work out some kind of analytics thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not until I'm being paid for this full time. I'm, I don't have the time to do that. But I'm just going, giving you some context to it that he did this against one of the best teams in the competition, battling one of the best midfields in the competition. You know, Clayton Oliver, Petrarca out there. I know Oliver um, ended up. He's possibly going to be out for a few weeks with the hamstring that he pulled at some point in this game. But he still got eight coaches as they vote, so he was pretty good. Um, but yeah, it was just the the level of performance. You know, we're talking forty one disposals, eighteen of them contested. Like, and we're, so we're talking, you're doing almost fifty percent of your forty disposal disposal game at um at you know eighteen contested possessions. And when, and when you watch the game, it's eye test. You could see he was throwing his body around. You know, late in the game, he's still throwing his body into the tackles. It's wet, it's hard, it's tough footy, and he's just he's throwing his body at the ball like he's he's it's, it's the opening bounce. Like he doesn't, he's an energizer bunny. He just doesn't stop. Um, and he wasn't stopping, and he, and you could see the energy. It's almost like the as the contest lifted, his performance lifted. Like he was there for the for the performance, and he wasn't overawed by it. And it's kind of like a you know, a, as I said earlier, that you know, it's a changing you know, a change of the paradigm in the Port Adelaide footy now is that these guys are not are starting to not be overawed by it any, anymore. And quite to the contrary, they're actually being inspired by the contest and the and the the occasion of it. And letting that feed their performance, and he's still over butters. And I know I've mentioned in the past few weeks talking about disposals and stuff, and saying you know modern analytics says you know your uh, disposals doesn't always mean that you know you had an affected game. You could have you'd have forty disposals and and only run at fifty percent efficiency. But I think butters was running at about um, 80 percent um, efficiency. So he was using the ball well. Um, and winning and winning the ball as well. It wasn't just you know you know uncontested possessions all day. He's having to win his own ball, and then and then use it well. And obviously the two goals as well. Um, you know two clutch goals from fifty. And I think the timing of that second goal. You know it's he's on pretty much on the siren um, in the third quarter when we've we've been punched in the mouth a little bit by Melbourne seven goals. We're down. We're uh, you know down by three goals. Possibly looking at going to into three quarter time with a three goal deficit, which is tough in these conditions. Butters fifty fifty meters out, slots it. You know, that's standing up to the moment and embracing it. Like I said, being inspired by the occasion rather than overawed by it. 
And I found it really interesting. I know people that um, on Twitter will know, but just for those that don't know, there's a Twitter account called Sir Swamp Thing that does like AFL stats, and he's really good. He just, you know, you can tweet at him. When was the last time this happened, or how many times has this happened? He'll come, he'll find it. Um, so, age at first. So this is he did a list of the what the ages of you know a bunch of pretty good players who've had a forty disposal, forty plus disposal game, ten plus clearance game. Um, oh yeah, that's the other thing. He had you know a bunch of clearances as well. So so yeah, forty disposals, ten plus clearances, two plus goal game. So we'll start from the the other end. So Lockie Neal was twenty eight years old when he had his first 40 disposal, 10 clearance, 2 goal game. Dane Swan was 28. Josh Kennedy, Sydney's Josh Kennedy, was 28. Fraser Brown was 27. Gary Ablett Jr., one of the greatest ever, was 27. Patrick Dangerfield, 26. Joe Mercedes, 25. Peter Bell, 25. Dustin Martin, 25. Mark Rusciuto, 24. Tom Mitchell, 24. 22, Zach Butters, the youngest ever to have it, and by a distance. And we'll go through this list. You've got uh, Lockie Neal, Brownlow medalist. Daniel Swan, Brownlow medalist. Gary Ablett Jr., Jewel Brownlow medalist. Patrick Dangerfield, Brownlow medalist. Dustin Martin, Brownlow medalist. Mark Rusciuto, Brownlow medalist. Tom Mitchell, Brownlow medalist. There's more Brownlow medalists on that list by a significant margin than there isn't. Now, it's not saying, I'm not saying Zach Butters will win a Brownlow medal um, soon because um, you can't win it in the next few weeks. He's going to win it at the end of this year. But, no. It's just this, the level of... And we, we know as Port fans how good he's been. Um, for a long time now, even though he's still young in his career. But I think, you know, this game really showed it to the world. And um, it was just incredible to watch. He's a, he's a pleasure to watch. He's a silky player to watch. I think I've said it before again. Watch how quickly he moves the ball with his hands, whether it be by handball or by feet. How quickly he reads the game it is freakish and incredible. And that's why he has such good numbers with, with his disposal efficiency as well as because he reads the game so well. And quickly, because part of it's getting the ball out quick to what you're reading before the opposition can kind of figure it out. So he's just he just move, he's just he's a savant. He's a savant of the game, and um, and he plays with an energy and a passion and an excitement um, that really makes you is really infectious as well. You know, you see, um, was it when we beat? That was one of those games a couple of weeks ago, and we maybe beat the Bulldogs, and you know, Butters was on the bench when the final siren went, and he just gets up and gives Ken a big hug straight away with a big smile on his face. He just plays the game. Um, the right way, um, with the right attitude, and he's being rewarded for it with performances like this, and and the adulation that's starting to come from the wider AFL world, not just not just us Port fans that have loved him for a long time already. Yeah, I mentioned the coaches' note, vote numbers just before. Um, second, of course, was Rosie, and it's really become the Rosie and Butters show um, in the, in the midfield. There, I think someone replied to one of my tweets on the weekend about the with the Butters show, like South Park um, image with you know Zach Butters. Face superimposed over the character of Butters from South Park, but you know the, those two have really taken the lead. And I said that I've said this a few times in the past month or so that you've really seen the um, changing of the garden at Port Adelaide midfield well and truly um, happening this year. Um, and Ollie Ollie Wine's still super effective, and Travis Boak is as well. It's unfortunate that Boak went off injury from um, Jack Viney's dead little fucking snipe, um, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit and just just weird AFL stuff that's happening at the moment. But um, you know. You know, Oli Wines had 26 disposals and is effective. He's just not the star of the midfield at the moment like he was a couple of years ago when he won the Brownlow, right? You can, He's not the one. Like, peep, these younger kids are now coming in and they're stealing the votes. Like, I don't know how many votes Wines would be sitting on so far this year. Maybe four or five, maybe. Um, and that's 
I'm not being generous and I'm saying I'm not saying that to pop wine. I'm saying I genuinely think the likes of even Horn Francis in a couple of these games is probably going to have stolen a few. And then Butters obviously is going to have a few three-vote games now. Uh, Rosie as well. These young guns have really taken the reins um, of the midfield. And with Horn Francis jumping in there and adding that extra dynamic... I've mentioned Willem Drew as well. Willem Drew, who was in the coaches' vote. So I'll have a, we'll have a quick look at the coaches' votes at a full now. It was obviously Butters with 10. Um, Rosie at 8. Houston at 6. Again, getting the getting the flowers that he deserves as, for having probably his best year so far of his career. And he's been pretty good the last few years. Uh, and Willem Drew with, um, with two two votes alongside um, Petrarca and uh, I think... Sorry, I had it written here now. I can't even read my own notes, which is just always fantastic. Um, kind of like being in college again. Um... The two mil- yeah, yeah. Oliver, sorry, it was Oliver and um, uh, Platon Oliver and Lockie Hunter. They got two votes apiece. Uh, so Petrarca didn't get any. Um, but yeah, uh, Drew had his two votes, which is, I think, um, a great uh, kind of, you know, again, fist bump to Willem Drew for... There's a lot of unsung hero kind of stuff, but he had, you know, 22 disposals. He always gets his 20 to 20, you know, his 20 to 22 or whatever. You know, he's always going to get that number. Um, in a game like this, especially, um, he's again one that rises to the top. I think in these games, and his kind of play is, you know, utilized best in these games. You know, the games when you're winning comfortably, he's going to have a have an effect, but it's not going to be as noticeable as when you notice in these games against these tough oppositions. When a player like Havali will a player like Willem Drew, he's he had ten tackles, he's twenty two disposals. I think he had eleven kicks, eleven handballs. He just you know he finds a way, to, whatever way that's um, avenue is to forward, he's going to find it. Um, and, you know, he again had a great game, and um, like I said, one of the first names on the team sheet, um, beyond the stars, obviously, um, he's just penciled in there um, for as long as, uh, no, sharpied in there, I think, at this point. Um, just incredible again. You know, Darcy Byrne jones I think, was leading tackles as well with um, 12, so it's just the pressure numbers from some of these guys that, um, I know Drew doesn't get too much stick, but, you know, Darcy Byrne jones has certainly been a guy that's copped a bit of stick over the past couple of years, but he's kind of reinventing his game a little bit since he's been redeployed, and, um, and we're getting, a, again, um, winning the benefits of that as as fans and as a team with all these players, just finding new avenues to um, be useful or just improving what they were already doing, um, which is really really impressive. What was one of my favourite parts of this game was um, obviously the big call and the lead up to this one was the ruck. We we knew having watched Bryn uh, uh, Teagle play uh, against Todd Goldstein the week before, he was probably going to get absolutely dominated again in this game there's no stick on Brenny. he's a young player and he hasn't played too much AFL I know he's he's a mid-season draft pick and all that stuff you know it's, it's a good story and I still have a lot of hope for his career going forward but at the moment he's just not at the level with these guys and that's not to say Scott Lysett is either but Scott Lysett has the experience you know he's a premiership he's a premiership ruckman um He's obviously played a hell of a lot more footy. He's an experienced. He kind of understands the dark arts of the ruck a little bit as well. Um, and Lice is just a, a little bit of a grunt bowler as well. You know, he certainly he labours around the ground a little bit. He's not quick. He's not super quick. He's not going to keep up with Gorn like in a foot race or anything like that. But um, what he'll do is he'll battle at the ruck and he'll understand the he'll understand the mission. You know, the game plan, and he'll understand it to a point that. You know, he understands the dark arts a little bit again of footy. You know, if you said to Bryn, you've got to you've got to battle with him, and you know, you know, little little body, little bit of this here and there, he might get a little bit overzealous too much because he hasn't he hasn't had to play like that too much. Um, whereas Lysett, he's again, he's just he's got he's got a little bit of that 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 nitty gritty in him. He like he likes to get a little bit snarky and snippy. Um, 
and he understands that side of it too, a kind of, you know, the subconscious level that you just need to to understand what to do. Um, and, and you know, it was it was genuine discussion during the week. It was, you know, and I remember talking a lot. It was the, probably the big thing on Twitter when the lineup dropped was, what have we done here and what, what would have been the better option? You know, you're trying to, you know, crystal ball it a little bit going into the weekend. Like, what what, what, what was the decision-making about from the Port Adelaide, you know, the list management, or sorry, the selectors um, in... in doing this decision and you know some people were like oh, I would have liked to bring, bring to keep getting the games you know I don't think life is going to bring too much but I just and I said to a few but yeah I know I get that but I think it was an experience based decision it was we're not going to win this game by the ruck but we could lose it by letting it go get too out of hand so we bring in some experience to battle a little bit make it a bit tougher and go on and grindy so even though if they're winning the overall battle um, they're not winning the war kind of thing in the sense of uh, that they're they're having to battle a little bit. It's not going to be, all come easily to them, which I think, again, not trying to pot Teagle. I don't, don't like to do that. Um, it's just that Lysett was going to be better at managing that aspect of the game. And I think that's what came to play. We saw, um, you know, we, we, we won the clearances uh, plus 10. Only slightly lost in the middle, nine nine center clearances to 10, but we won around a stoppage around 30, 31 to 20. Uh, which is really key in um, getting out some uh, heavy load of forward 50 entries um, out of the stoppage as well, and as well as just stopping their run forward. And I think that's um, that's really what you know that vindicated the selection to bring Scooter in. Yeah, he was he wasn't, and there was a few little there was a few little moments where he got overzealous on a tackle on Grant and Gorn or and gave away a free kick. I think he gave away a couple of free kicks possibly, um, but he disrupted their their flow, you know, he made it frustrating for them. Gorn and Grundy weren't having a good time. Um, Gorn especially. And I really like the tactics as well with what we did with Gorn with the um, little, like, the close checking on him, uh, which I know is, it, it can be a fine line between what you, because the first goal we gave away, by the way, was, um, I don't know if people caught it on the replay. I actually only caught it when I watched um, the highlights later on. I didn't catch it on live when they showed the replay, but I think, I don't know if it was Houston or someone else, but, you know, Gorn was, like, kind of about 30 metres out from goal, running in as uh, as um, whoever had marked it in the pocket there was lining up, and, and they he, they were kind of checking him, but then they really just, like, stopped and, and kind of tipped Gorn over them, basically, and made it too obvious the umpire had to make play, play a free kick. So, there is a fine line you dance if you're going to take that tactic into a game, but then you saw... Um, a few op- a few examples of just you know Gorn's running through the middle and you know a guy like Jason Orn Francis ran with him uh, basically almost all the way down the field at one point and was just bumping him a little bit and checking him and kind of running his path a little bit but nothing too obvious that the umpire could make a call it was a, it's a fine line it's a little bit of dark arts it's a little, it's a little bit of a, a fine line to dance but if you can do it cor- um, correctly while also playing your game it can be a really effective way of taking kind of a, a guy like Gorn that does so much um, out of the game a little bit. It's not like you take him out of the game completely. If you do enough to disrupt his rhythm that he's not going to be having one of those Max Gorn games, um, puts a little bit more pressure on Grundy as well. And it was just a really... I was really glad to see Port kind of really thought through. You could see that there was some coaching that happened during the week and a plan, a significant plan in place for... Again, like I've said in previous weeks, it's like we have to figure out ways around the the fact that we're not going to be the dominating team in the ruck. I think we lost the hitouts again, minus twenty. I think it might be forty five, twenty three, or something in this one. So, you know, again, um, the hitouts battle was lost a little bit, or, or significantly. But we we keep finding ways to 
to still match up in the clearances and, and get more clearances and, and win in other ways. So, And again, we saw tactics come into this game that um, to, to try and mitigate the influence and frustrate Gorn and and it worked, you know. You, and like I said, you we lost a couple of battles in the game with a couple of free kicks given away. But overall, um, for the the flow of the game, it worked, and it, and it meant that we won the won the war, so to speak. Rather, even if we lost a few battles there. I mean, speaking of the Gorn battle, I love seeing uh, Ollie Lord get involved a little bit in that as well. You know, he comes in and spoils hard over the top of him on the on the half forward flank there a little bit, and gives him a little of a little bit of um, a tickle as well on the way up and. I know a lot's been made of it this week um, by the media that no one came to fly the flag too much for Gorn, and that's a Melbourne issue, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. We'll talk about Lord. Um, he was really, really impressive to me again. Again, he's not involved fully in the game. Like he got, you know, he was pretty well checked by the Melbourne defense, but he still got he still got two goals in a game that was hard to score goals at times um, with the conditions and all that. It's not conditions for a tall man, certainly. Um, the fact both of his goals come from basically like little knuckle puck miss kicks from um, I think Sam Pepper was the first one that you know maybe went maybe went the required fifteen who knows um, but the umpire called it a mark so and he kicks kicks that one from straight out in front and you got Dylan Williams um, you know knuckle puck from fifty as well and and both of them were goals that were a tall forward reading the again I've, I've talked about you know quickness of mind in players and and your sharpness in reading the footy particularly talking about Butters and how he reads the game. Both of these goals basically came from, you know, snuffed kicks that were completely terrible that usually just go to ground because no one can pick up pick up on them or there's a defender suddenly standing there. But the, the fact that Lord read both of them so quickly, particularly, I mean, the power pepper when he read super quickly and just got, in, got front and took the mark on the chest. And then the Dylan Williams one that went, you know, 40 metres instead of the 50 and was kind of, kind of a real, again, I said knuckle puck. Um, just wobbling all over the place, but he, he he was the one that read it quick and was able to take a contested mark there and and put in a crucial time, put us in front in the last quarter. I know they got ahead again, then we we win with the the winning goal, but it showed a a, a maturity and a, again and he wasn't getting overawed by the situation and was taking his opportunities in a game that they were a little bit sparse for him. Um, and again, not overawed by the situation. Like I said, that it's a good sign that he's getting involved with Gorn, like getting involved in that game plan a little bit. Um, not afraid to go up against one of the Premier Ruckmen and, and players and captains in the competition and have a little bit of fun there. And, and kicking goals in a variety of ways. I know he's gone around the body a few weeks ago, kicked the check side for the, that second goal, um, kicking, kicking one from straight out in front, as, as you should, but I know it's a lot harder. Sometimes players find it a lot harder to do than you'd think. Um, he's making himself useful, and particularly at the time, you know, this is a game that we went into severely depleted in our forward stocks, and um, he kicked two goals that were incredibly important for the game. You know, it was a game that no one was kicking bags, but he was he kicked a couple. So um, it was really impressive that he found a way to, to make an impact, even in a game that was tough, that he wasn't going to make a significant impact across four quarters, but just enough, just be there in the moments um, and, and, and do your job. And, yeah, he kicked two goals. His first multi-goal goal of his game of his career, his very short career, I think, because he possibly could have had bags of three in his first game, but missed a couple. But you know, this one he took his sparse opportunities and made the most of them. I mentioned before about the, uh, oh, the 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 match review officers and all that stuff and dangerous tackles and 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 what we deem dangerous and worthy of suspension is 
It's really getting muddied at the moment. Um, again, I keep saying I'll try to do the Around the Grounds podcast and just keep running out of time each week because I'm just, just having enough time to do the reviews and that's about it. But I want to try and do one. So that's why I'm getting this. I've got this one out. I'm recording Monday afternoon here, which usually I don't get to it until Tuesday or Wednesday. So hopefully getting ahead of the eight ball and maybe Wednesday or Thursday I can do an Around the Grounds and talk about some general AFL things, which certainly uh, match review officers and tribunals have been a big discussion point. But it is funny... Um, you know, in a tragic kind of way that we see, you know, Jonas win a free kick uh, for holding the ball on the weekend and then later on find out from the M- MRO that he's uh, been suspended for a dangerous tackle for a game for a, for a tackle that won him a free kick. Now, I have said, and I, and I will continually state that I, I tr- do truly believe in the in the mission of protecting the hen and working out ways to make our game safer, but at some point, this is starting to get a little bit ridiculous. They're just throwing out one-match bans for tackles that intention there's got to be intention in the tack like you know you can see when a player you know i always think back to um it's bryce gibbs and robbie gray back in the i think it was a game back in 2015 maybe um carlton we, we lost it to carlton over in melbourne and there's a real effort to dump the player and 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 lay a dangerous tackle and we know the tackles when we see them because they look you know whether it be the spear tackles back in the it was a burgoyne got suspended peter burgoyne got suspended for a spear tackle way back in the days and we we adjust the rules. We or we have heavy suspensions for them as well. And those ones, you know, we don't see them too much. And 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 those kind of tackles have been taken out of the game. But this one was just one of those. Now we're starting to suspend, you know, register and administer dangerous tackles for just tack just tackles that are decent tackles that just because of the you know the players running the other way and and the players you know bigger than Jonas, um, and. And we're adjudicating these decisions. And whereas you have Jack Viney have two incidents in this game that, um, you know, the, the, there was a little, there was a bit of a snipe on Boke. I don't know what you'd adjudicate that and whether it's, it might be worthy of a week. I don't know. Um, at least a fine. And I know we got a fine for the slide tackle, which, you know, <laughs> that's a straight red card in three weeks in soccer. So it's it's a funny one how the different sports, and, and I guess we just don't really deal with that too much in the AFL. But we're... We've gone so over top, over the top in the in some of the dangerous tackle stuff, just because it, you know, the head might get hurt. Whereas there's other devastating, you know, a leg breaking injury can threaten someone's life as well. Like I don't, you've heard of some of the worst tackles in soccer history. If you actually read up on them and what the the trauma that can happen to a leg because of how much damage that can happen there and all the things that can happen, it can be life threatening. Now it's it's different than CTE and all those long term life effect things, but. It is funny just how the AFL... I'm not saying Jack Viney deserves anything because of that. Because it could... I'm not, not trying to get over overly um, dramatic about that. I'm just trying to make a comparison point here to the, to the kind of ridiculousness of how much that... Because of the heads involved, we're just we're just throwing match suspensions out there. Whereas everything else, you know, you know, Boak was, went to hospital for checks for that that little snipe to the side there and no one cares. And... and and so, so that's damaged in a different way. And yes, it's not going to be hopefully you know, long-term effects are nothing because it's ribs and but. And so I get the mission, but the dangerous tackle thing seems to have jumped the shark a little bit this year. Um, and uh, I know um, friend of the pod Jamie mentioned to me on Twitter, you know, is it because this class action's coming? There's just there's a memo, suddenly let's just make sure that we're throwing out. You know, make sure that the the appearance of. Um, 
discipline is there to try to as we work through because there's going to be a phase of the next few years where these class actions will work through and and because the NFL has gone through it over the last decade and um, the NFL will never jump the shark that much like this, they have targeting rules and all that stuff but people are you know it's just it's just weird that it is a very concerning trend at the moment with the AFL and, and I know some people have said oh why you know why didn't Jonas challenge it and I was somewhat surprised that Port didn't challenge it but I think they've possibly realize that maybe it's just that and i don't think any of these have been overturned this that yet this year to the point of actually not you know some have been reduced from you know three to two games or two to one but being that it's only one game um you know whether it would have got reduced at all who knows so it's an interesting one um i certainly find it funny because i think grundy because there was like was it grundy on i can't think who it was it was Houston or someone where Grant, it was the it was the tackle where Grundy actually it looked like it was going to be holding the ball on us but because Grundy continued the the tackle and kind of dumped into the ground it ended up being reversed um, and, and to a dangerous tackle and there's nothing there and now his head didn't hit the ground but it it is such a fine line because it is just you know car crash incidents in in a way I don't mean to make that an analogy it's a little bit poor but it's instantaneous you know how a body falls and hits the ground is just entirely up to chance sometimes depending especially if you compare the Jonas and Grundy tackles in those two instances they both kind of you know, the player gets thrown to the ground a little bit I think the Grundy one's actually a little bit more of an intentional forceful impact in the in the way that he throws the player to the ground but he's not the one getting anything so it's and it's because the head didn't hit the ground as hard or anything like that so it is just a concerning ad hoc way of doing um, match review and it's it's a little bit annoying like, thankfully, Jonas is only out for one week, and I know the most um, cynical Port fans will say, well, that's that's a good thing for us, but he's been playing his role the last couple of weeks. Um, I know that he's, he's getting out muscle. He's not he's not the player he was, whatever, but, you know, still, anyway, I'm not getting into that too much. I just know that someone listening, if I didn't didn't mention that there'd be that aspect of Port fandom out there, they'd, they'd come at me. So, anyway, what a fantastic finish to this game as well. I wanted to kind of just tack this on at the end um, to make sure we finish on a positive note. I haven't mentioned it yet, but the winning goal was just everything I've mentioned in this lengthy review now about our confidence, our not being overawed by the situation, and all that stuff kind of came into the came into and and the desperation and intent to not lose the ball in the forward fifty and and keep the ball and win the ball and and find a way to score. You know, you had Finlayson running at the ball and kind of tapping it towards goal and just keeping it alive. You know. Burn Jones goes for a soccer kicking. Is kind of put off his kick and it, instead of going through the goals and um, and being a goal, it just goes straight across the face and it becomes a little bit of a log jam there. But then that Horn Francis pickup, like now, if it's twenty three degrees, sunny on a nice May afternoon, there's no wind whatsoever. The ball is dry. The field is perfect. Everything feels perfect. You might clean the pick the ball up as clean as that, but you're rarely going to see a clean a pickup as what Horn Francis did in the most torrid of conditions in that instance in the goal goal square there and not only did he pick it up clean he immediately knew what he was going to do with it. he knew as he was going to pick that ball up that Rosie was there with a little just a skerrick of space to be able to get the ball on the foot and I think because Rosie actually drops it and luckily it just bounces straight up to him uh, I was just wondering if even Rosie was just not expecting the clean pickup from Horn Francis. I don't know. Um, certainly, I don't think Horn uh, Rosie um, has got any uh, misunderstanding of the the absolute talent that Horn Francis is. So he's not going to be exactly surprised. But and it came to him so quick and smooth, and the smoothness of the handball after that clean slick pickup that Horn Francis has there. I just want people to just 
really, I know a lot of Port fans have already talked about it, so but just really lock in on that. But then Rosie, first dropping the ball and it picks up and bounces straight up to him, and he, and he, and he slots it through, snaps around the body. Um, in such conditions like that, um, and the pressure that was on there, uh, all of that that comes together there is basically a good wrap-up of this review because there was desperate, the desperation, um, the intent to win the ball, um, the pressure, and then the clean skills that were you know pretty good all night um, were there, and then obviously the kick from Rosie, who's been one of her best players for the last 18 months, um, was really just just finished off the game well and then obviously we still had to play out four minutes of four minutes of footy and strangely I surprisingly was a lot more calm than I expected to be I just thought we just seemed to we're finding ways and uh we never really gave him much of a sniff after that and and, and managed the game out well which is another good sign because we've struggled at times with that so you know all in all a really impressive performance one to go back and watch a replay happily um and really enjoy it and kind of try you know if you go back and get the chance go back and watch the replay and take some more things out of the game see the you know some of the things between the lines that we're doing uh some of those tactics on Gorn are fun to watch if you can kind of watch it and look just look whenever Gorn's on screen off the ball a little bit and see what they're doing and you know, checking his lines a little bit and all that stuff but as well as just our uh, confidence and intent to to play the ball and play good good exciting footy it was really on show in this game and, and really impressive to see so yeah, like I said, one of the most impressive wins I've seen Port, Port um, be a part of in a long, long time. And um, and really, again, there's a long way to go. We've been here before with a good start to the season, and it's all falling apart. So I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. But again, we can only review based on what's what's gone so far. And what's been so far has been pretty good. So yeah, we'll be back in a couple of days, um, whether it be the Around the Grounds, and then the, I'll try to get a preview out for this week as well, or um, what it be. There's certainly been some big news overnight with... Um, Jeez, it's funny waking up in a, in the US and just seeing I had just every notification from different apps and Twitter and everything about um, the, the Damien Hardwick potentially stepping down. I know it's pretty much sounds like he is, but there hasn't been an official press conference yet. So um, that might might even be happening right now as I'm recording. I'm not sure. Oh, it's still a bit early over there. I think I'm trying to do a time difference in my head. Anyway, there'll be a lot to talk about going later in the week. Certainly with us playing Richmond this week as well. So, um, but. You know, for now, it's uh, early in the week. We might as well enjoy this one for a little bit more as fans. And, um, yeah, calm the pair.